0: Do you recognize that you still need a Savior? You might have been born again 50 years ago, but you still need a Savior. The greatest thing I need delivered from is me, myself, my selfishness. I don't think I'm the only one, maybe the only one admitting it. I remember several years ago, we were celebrating Christmas at our house and had my... uh, my granddaughter with me lives in Nashville, Tennessee, so I don't get to see her a lot. But she was sitting beside me on the couch, and I was reading to her uh, that, that poem, The Night Before Christmas. And we got to that, we got to that part where I read, the, the stump of a pipe he held firm in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath, and my granddaughter... Sat up straight, got a stern look on her face, and looked at me, and she says, Santa smokes? <laughs> and I says, well, of course he does. It says right here. <laughs> she would heard that story I don't know how many times, but it never dawned on her. Have you ever read the Bible like that? Right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're reading through it, and you read something that you read before, and all of a sudden it has new meaning. You hadn't thought of that before. That's the way it's supposed to be. The Word of God is a revelation, and it's revealed to us as we're hungry, as we're searching, as we're receptive to it, it has meaning to us. So what I want to do this morning, being Christmas Eve, I want to help us think through some lessons learned in the Christmas story that maybe you hadn't thought about. Maybe they were there, and you've read them, and you know it's true, you'd answer a question if somebody asked you, but it never really connected with you, never really light came on. We're going to talk about six of these uh, Christmas lessons. We're going to title this message, Christmas Lessons. So here's the first one, and uh, let's read the scripture first. This comes from Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. Thus there were fourteen generations in all, from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. How many of you have read that and all of a sudden you, you said to yourself, Oh, that's a revelation to me. 14, 14, 14. I've read it, I don't know how many times, and it didn't mean anything. But the thing that I want us to see is that there are patterns. Yes, and, and the Christmas lesson number one is God always follows Patterns. And so what you and I have to do, if we want to get out of Christian kindergarten and move on into spiritual maturity, we have to search out the Word of God to find the patterns. Once you discover patterns in the Bible, then you understand more and more of the Bible. It grows on you. So we have to discover what the patterns are. Did you know that, you know what numerology is? It's the study of numbers. Numbers mean things in the Bible. Maybe you hadn't thought about that. Number three represents God. So whenever you see three things together, that represents God. Not just in the Bible, but in your life. When you see three things connected together, that's God involved in your life. He's trying to say, hey, I'm here. I'm here. I want you to see this. But if you don't know that, you'd never recognize it when it came. Did you know the number six is the number of man? That's why... The number 666 comes up in the book of Revelation. It's the number of man. He's not quite complete. He needs something else. The number seven means complete. God created the earth six days and then rested on the seventh, and that made the week. Resting was a part of the work. Have you ever considered resting as a part of your work? Taking that Sabbath is an important day. Number 12 means government, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles in the New Testament. Whenever you see 12 things together, it represents government. 40 represents judgment. You know, they had to wander through the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights? Judgment. Number, did you know metals? Metals mean something in the Bible. Precious stones do too, although I, I have never figured that out, but I know they're symbolic. But gold always represents deity, God. Silver always represents redemption. So when you see gold or silver in the Bible, just think to yourself, that represents God, or that represents redemption. Colors have meanings. Yes. Scarlet, we see scarlet, purple a lot. It's a color of blood represents blood. You can't be saved without the shedding of blood. Blood has to be shed. That's a requirement of God, not man, but God. That's why Jesus is so important. If you can discover the patterns in the Bible, then you can discover even more truth from God in the Bible. God can speak to you loud and clear and everybody else says, what just happened? You just heard from God. Because you know the patterns. So we need to get into this book because this book is where we learn these patterns. Yes. It best. Parables are analogies that teach us about God. Yes. Once you understand the patterns used in the parables, you can see that your life is a parable. You can see things happening in your life. You can see the hand of God at work in your life. And just as in parables, you don't always like it. There's always truth, if you can understand it. That's right. God always follows patterns. If the Jews had understood the patterns <laughs> laid out in the Old Testament, they would have recognized Jesus right away. Yes. But they weren't looking at the patterns, so it went right over their head. Mm-hmm. I think the average Christian in America today isn't looking for patterns. They don't have a clue. They're in the, the average Christian is in a church that I call spiritual kindergarten they're born again. They're excited about Jesus, but they don't know how to apply the truths in the Bible to have victory in their life. So they go through one defeat after another. I don't want to live like that. I don't want you to live like that. I don't want to let you live like that. So I want to challenge you. All right, that's that's the first Christmas lesson. God always follows patterns. Here's the second one. We find it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Where it says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus, here's the lesson, Jesus means God with us. Jesus came to this earth as a human being, natural birth, supernatural conception, but a natural birth. A lot of pain, a lot of agony, a lot of discouragement because they had to be away from family. Didn't have any security, just had to trust in God. Mm -hmm. Jesus means God with us. When he died on the cross, they put him in a grave. On the third day, he rose from the dead. Some days later, he rose, he ascended into heaven. And there today he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and me. Did you know that? A lot of us live our lives like we don't know that. Please, God, will you please help me? Will you please help me? Don't you know he's with you? He's right there. He's watching everything you go through. You don't have to beg God for anything. Just stand. He'll give you the victory. I had to learn that the hard way. We all have to learn that the hard way. But he's got our back. He came to identify with us, God in the flesh, in terms that we could understand, we humans, God here on this earth. God in a flesh body, identifying with our human weakness. He was God in a hostile environment, identifying with our tragedies. God, in a terminal condition, identifying with our hopelessness. So if you've ever been hopeless in your life, I feel like the Holy Spirit's speaking to me right now that there's somebody in this room that you are hopeless. You can't see any possible way out of this dilemma. You've lost all hope. I want you to know you're looking in the wrong place. Jesus has his eye on you. He's never turned His back on you. He never will turn His back on you. He loves you. Jesus came to show us that you can live a human life in this hostile environment on planet Earth and still be victorious. Yes. He came to show us we don't have to yield to sin. That's right. Showed us how to do that. And His Spirit... When you and I reach out and we open our heart to Jesus Christ and give our life to him, our sin is nailed to the cross and he sends his Holy Spirit into our lives. Yes. He identifies with us in, on the inside, working outward. Yes. So we should see Jesus in everybody around us. Yes. And if people around you don't see Jesus in you, you need to change some things. Because that's what Christianity is. Holy Spirit living inside of us. God with us. Let's look at this third lesson because the clock's still ticking. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Christmas story. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The point I want us to see is there are three things in what we just read in that brief paragraph. Three things that all happened. They all came together at the same time. God is the timekeeper. That's the point. If you'd like to take notes, Uh, God is the great timekeeper. He's got this clock and he's managing it. Just picture God with this clock, and he's arranging events according to his timetable. Three key things all happen together. The first one, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? That's just this little hick town, nothing's happening, it's right in the middle of no place, no economy there. Why would would the king of the world, the representative of God, Come to this little town of Bethlehem because it was predicted. In Micah chapter 5 verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, which is another name for Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old. In other words, God planned this a long, long time ago, and here he comes on this particular day, Christmas, which probably wasn't December 25th, but Christmas at the time when Jesus was born. That happened on a particular time, and God had set that time. Here's the second thing that happened at the same time, in the days of Herod the king. Herod was not an Israelite. Did you know that? He was an Edomite. He was appointed by the Roman governor to be the king of Israel. And the Jews hated it. And he hated them. He was a brutal dictator, caused all kinds of problems and agony and difficulties. It happened at the same time Jesus was born in Bethlehem. No coincidence here. God knows what he's doing. Here's a picture of what God wants to do with Jesus and a picture of what's happening in the world with Herod the king. Then the third thing that happens at the same time, they all line up. There came magi from the east. The east was probably Babylon over there, which was at that time Persia. Today it's Iraq. They probably came up, I mentioned this the other day, they came up over the, let me see, I'm trying to see how you see it, over the fertile crescent, down here to Israel over on the other side. It was a trade route. A big caravan of camels hauling a bunch of things to sell. And they were traveling on that to come around to Israel to trade. They had camels loaded with stuff. That was their treasures. They had all kinds of stuff. What a strange coincidence. Three things happening together. First, got to... The Savior of the world being born, Herod, the king of the world, all ready to pounce on that baby and and execute all the babies to try to get rid of him. At the same time, you got a bunch of Israelites who are coming back to the homeland to make a little money, and they see a star, and they recognize it, so they want to come see the baby, so they go to Herod. Herod sends them to Bethlehem. This all comes together. Three big aspects, three big dynamics that are happening at the same time. And what you need to know is you are on this earth and God is with you and he's watching you. And there are no accidents. Everything is designed by him. He's got a master plan. We don't understand it, but we're discovering it day by day, year by year. We're discovering what that plan is. God's timing is everything. That's right. Quit griping about your misfortune. Come on. His timing is everything. Yeah. Just wait. God sometimes in this analogy is like the weather. If you don't like it, just hang on. It's, it's going to change. Come on. God's going to change things. Yes. The wind's always shifting. Yes. All right. So God's the great timekeeper. That's the third one. Here's a uh, Here's the fourth Christmas lesson I want us to see. This comes from Matthew chapter 11, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They bowed down. That's what you do with a king. You bow down and they presented gifts from their treasures. They didn't give all their treasures to him, but they presented him gifts from their treasures. Interesting. Here's the fourth Christmas lesson. We honor the Lord with our gifts. Yes. You have a treasure. Yes. Did you know that? You have a treasure. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure is God, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, and all his gifts and all his fruit. They're inside of us. He's put them inside. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's not a compliment, folks. He's he's calling us clay jars. We have something valuable inside this clay jar. That's what he's talking about. You, what? what see, what's another word for a clay jar that's broken? A crackpot. That's what it is. Everybody, turn to your neighbor and say, "Now I know he's talking about you." How, how many wise men were there that came to Jesus? Are you sure? <laughs> the Bible doesn't tell us how many. There might have been 12. There might have been 40. The Bible does not ever tell us how many wise men there were. It tells us how many gifts they gave. And from that, we assume that there were three. But the Bible doesn't say. See how easy it is to be misled? by some song we sang as a kid. <laughs> Let me say, share three things about the gifts that they gave. Number one, they each gave what they had. Come on. It was from their treasures. God doesn't expect you to give anything that you don't have. Come on. Good but he does expect you to give from what you do have Come on. because it came from God in the first place. And if you want more from God, you better recognize that it came from Him. And how do you show Him you recognize? you got to give some of that. Here's the second thing. They each gave something different. Different gifts. It's not just one. Everybody gives the same thing. It's different for each of us because each of us are different. We all have different personalities. We all have different giftings. We all have different experiences. We all have different lives. We're heading in different directions. So what we give is going to be different. But proportionately, we should all be givers. Here's the third thing about what they gave. They each gave as an expression of worship. Mm -hmm. They bowed down when they gave a gift. It should be worship. When you give something to God, it should be an expression of worship. In other words, if you're going to put a gift in that box out there on the way out, you ought to be careful that you're not just leaving a tip Come at on. the restaurant. This is, this is bigger than that. Right. God yeah. sees our gifts. Yeah. It should be an expression of worship. All right. We've got to move on to the next one or we'll never get done. Here, here's the fifth Christmas lesson. This comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, where it says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You see, they were engaged, they weren't married, they were engaged what "spoused" means. They were engaged. They had a commitment, but a com- uh, and a, an engagement back then was so binding it took a divorce to break it. So they weren't living together, but she reports to Joseph she's pregnant. Now Joseph knows where babies come from. And he's no doubt a little bit ticked off. Come on. A whole lot of hurt. Yep. Betrayal. Yep. Doesn't know how to deal with this. Because he's been faithful to the law. He's not having sex with her outside of marriage. He's waiting. Because he's been faithful, this is going to make him look like he hasn't been. Right. And the, the image you portray to other people, that's your witness. Come on. And so... He doesn't want to hurt her, but he doesn't want to hurt his testimony either. So he's caught in this honorable dilemma. What do I do? And he makes the decision. I'm going to divorce her because she's not been faithful. I'm going to divorce her, but I'm going to do it quietly. I'm not going to make a big show. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to look like I'm the hero and she's the bad one. I'm just going to very quietly put her away. That's the decision. That's what he has in his mind. He's thought this through, knows he's doing the right thing, the godly thing, and then the angel shows up and talks to him. He says, don't be afraid to take that woman as your wife. What's inside of her is from the Holy Spirit, not from another guy. You see, Joseph doesn't understand this. Mary doesn't understand it. Nobody on earth understands it. But God understands it. Yes. God's got a plan. Yes, he does. So what they had to do is submit to the plan of God. Mm-hmm. But here's the point I want us to see from what we just read. Love covers a multitude of sins. Yes. Covers it up. He decided to not expose her. He's going to cover her. That's honor. Where are the men in our society today? That will honor God more than themselves. That will cover the sins of other people so their lives can become better rather than just watch out for themselves. That's honor. We need a culture of honor, but I don't think we're going to find it in the United States. I think the only place we're going to find a culture of honor is in the church of Jesus Christ, and there it's going to be rare. Because it requires us to submit to Jesus Christ. Yes. And we got so much pride, it's hard to do that. Come on. Yeah. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new commandment, a brand new one. Love one another. That's the commandment. Why? Well, I, I, I thought an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Isn't, isn't that what you said, God? That was the old covenant. He's got a new covenant. Love one another. Help everybody be overcomers. Yes. Help all your brothers and sisters be <clears throat> overcomers. Yes. That's the challenge he's giving us this Christmas. Because the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. Sin is deadly. Come on. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your family. It'll destroy your career. It'll destroy your dreams. Sin is deadly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Flee it. Run Come from on. it. Yes. God's got a better plan. Redemption requires the covering that love brings. If we're going to see the power of God at work in our own personal lives, we have to export this love to other people. We have to find people that are broken, dysfunctional. They'll get mad at us. They'll strike out at us. But we have to love them, cover their sin. And if we do that over a lifetime, we will see the whole church changes. And hopefully, as the church goes out into the world, our whole community changes. Yes. Because we're not throwing other people under the bus to make ourselves look a little better. Yes. We're helping everyone grow. Yes. All right, we got one more. Here, here's the sixth Christmas lesson that maybe you hadn't noticed, or maybe you had. Here's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Let me read that again. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Without God, everything's possible or impossible without God. But God can take the impossible and flip it on his head. The angel said to Abraham, Is anything too hard for the Lord? God said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand become short? Job said to God, I know that you can do all things. And Jeremiah said to God, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. How many times does the Bible have to say with God there's nothing impossible? With God, he can do anything. Yes. With God, your life can be dramatically changed. Yes. With God, there is no limit. Yes. Come on, yes. I'm going to make a prediction, but it's a conditional prediction. In other words, you have, this is, I'm going to make a, a prediction for your life for 2024. Amen. I'm going to predict it, but it's conditioned upon you doing what God tells you to do. And that prediction is, God is going to pour out signs and wonders in yes. your life. Yes, But the average Christian won't see it when it comes. Come on. Come on. They'll go home and talk about how lucky they were today. Yeah. Boy, that was a good break. Christians recognize the hand of God. Come on. Come on. The language of the Spirit is coincidence. When things line up, that's a miracle. Yes. And you know and I know that those kind of miracles only come from God. I want you to keep your eyes open. Jesus said, watch and pray. Pray Pray but watch at the same time. Keep your eyes open so you don't miss it when God sends it to you. Every miracle I've seen in my life could have a logical explanation. Somebody that didn't believe could explain it away. But as I look back on those miracles in my life, and I've seen a lot of them, as I look back on them, what I see is God arranges things so that I get blessed. Over my lifetime, I want to see God arrange things in your life so you can be blessed. Blessed. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up because we have one final song to share with you. Have you looked around lately? Have you looked at your life lately? Are you where you think you should be if God's favor is on your life? I mean, it's time to take uh, inventory. That's the word I'm looking for. It's time to take inventory of your life. Are you where you think God wants you to be? I don't mean rich and famous. God doesn't necessarily want anybody rich and famous. He wants everybody blessed. And the blessing is his favor in your life. If you don't have his favor in your life, something's missing. Maybe it's Jesus. Maybe you don't have that spirit inside of you, the spirit of Jesus Christ, the spirit of God inside of you that gives you that life. Maybe that's something you want. Maybe that's something you thought you had or you want to get, but you don't feel like you have it right now. This is a, this is a turning point. Before you go into 2024, a whole new year with a whole new set of circumstances, maybe you need to make things right in your own personal life. Maybe you need to make sure that the Holy Spirit is living on the inside. That he's given you new life. That his favor is on you. That Emmanuel means God is with you. And maybe you haven't taken that step yet. Or maybe you did, and now you feel like it's all dried up. I mean, 2023 was not a good year for you. Things went awry in 2023. You want things to be different in 2024. They're not going to be any different without Jesus. He's the only hope you have that things will be different in the next year. So if you want Jesus to come into your life, it's real simple. You have to take the step. God wants to respond, but he's waiting for you to take that next step. He already took the first step when he went to the cross. He took another step to bring you here this morning so you could hear this message now the question for each of us is what are we going to do with this information what are we going to do with what we just heard how are we going to make it real in our own lives and if you want to open your life to Jesus Christ let me tell you what to pray and you make it your prayer you need to say right, right where you are you need to say it to yourself not to yourself Say it quietly to God. Just make this prayer. Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. You just kind of say that to God. I know I've messed up. I've let you down. I've tried and failed. I need a Savior. I need a Savior in my life. And in this Christmas time, I want to be receptive to what you're doing. I want to open my life. I ask you to forgive that sin. Just tell it. Tell him that. I, I want you to forgive the sin in my life. And trust me, he knows every sin. There's no secret. He remembers what you did 40 years ago. He remembers. You need to confess it. Speak it out say, that was wrong. That was all about me. I hurt other people. Just acknowledge it. And ask him to forgive you. Ask him to send his Holy Spirit to come into your life. Why would he not want to do that? He wants you to be the church. He wants the church to shine. He wants the light to be bright. So why would he want us to stay in that bondage? He wants to forgive. Ask him to forgive. Ask him to send the Holy Spirit in your life. And ask him to guide you. So that your life can be better in the days ahead. That's all you have to do. He'll put his seed on the inside. Seeds grow slow. You know that? I wish they grew fast. But they grew slow. They grow slow. It takes years to develop. Why would we want to wait till the last minute of our life and give our life to Jesus when we don't have any time to grow? Now is the time to plant the seed and begin that growth in your life. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters in this room. You are a great God, and you want only the best for children. But we have not given you chance. Right now, Father, we want to give you a chance. We want to open our heart to you use us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You have a merry Christmas.